Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Can you hear me okay? We good? I got a green light back here. Testing? Okay. All right. Let's try that again. Here we go. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Okay. So uh, if you would, turn to your neighbor and tell them uh, you're going to learn something today. All right, turn back to him and say it's about time. <laughs> Look, I, I knew uh, I, I knew this was uh, a great church when I when I met Marshall and and the family, and then we came here several weeks ago. One of our first Sundays uh, on the ground here in town, uh, we came here, and uh, and I thought I knew the church, but then yesterday I was at Trunk or Treat, and. I was talking to one of your leaders, and, uh, and man, it was so cool, right? Like, it, there was several ladies there dressed as cows. I think one of them even got on the news, maybe. And, I mean, it was, it was really cool. And, and handing out all kinds of candy, tons of people coming through. And, and, and I said, hey, are you married? And he goes, yeah, uh, my wife is the cow on the left. Um, I'm not going to say who that was, Christopher, but... Um, but, uh, but no, it was, I mean, it was, it, was, it was an incredible day to see so many of you guys out there serving and uh, just being the light of Jesus to people that desperately need it. Amen? Amen. I mean, I, that's what the gospel is about, right? If the salt, uh, if we stay in the salt shaker, then, then there's not a lot of use for that, is it? But once we get out and begin to have an impact and the impact happens in close proximity to that which is lost, right? And so we're going to see that story this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to land the plane today. Luke chapter 5. And if you have a, uh, a Bible there that's uh, underneath the seat in front of you, then it's on page 860. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, you can find it on whatever device or Bible that you have. But Luke chapter 5, and as you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of a background for our time together today, is in this story, Jesus had, uh, had, was born earlier in Luke. Luke is where we often read the Christmas story from. And then in chapter 4, we see his public ministry uh, beginning to develop and take shape. In fact, the first sermon he ever preaches, he quotes out of Isaiah 61, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. But he, he gives that sermon, and then word begins to spread. Hey, this is a guy that we need to listen to that's doing some incredible, incredible things. And so he, so to speak, began to go viral. And so if you look back one chapter before... In Luke chapter 4, you can see in verse 14 and verse 37, it says that news about him, if you look at chapter 4, verse 14, it actually says, And Jesus returned, to, to return the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding area. So that's verse 14. Look at verse 37. It says, And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding area or region. So, so Jesus is, is starting to become quite popular. And, 
And even though uh, we know God is all-powerful and can do whatever He wants to do, at the same time, God chooses to use us to do His work here on earth. And He wants to involve us in His great redemptive plan, in His great plan to save us and redeem us. And so uh, Jesus here is setting out on a mission to get some, some guys to help Him. Some of his first followers. And so look at Luke chapter 5 verse 1. It says, On one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or as we know, the Sea of Galilee. Now, it says that here that he was teaching at the edge on the beach, so to speak. He was teaching the people and, and crowds began to press in on him. And they began to listen to him. So uh, I would argue, if you're taking notes, that uh, you could jot this down, think about this idea. But the first step in following Jesus and being a follower of Jesus is being a great listener. And, and I don't know about you, but a lot of times that's the hardest thing for me to do in life. Now there's a lot of hard and difficult parts about life, but for me to truly listen to someone, I, I think there is very little else that can validate someone and truly add value to who they are as a child of God than if we genuinely listen to them. Because here's a lot of times how it works for me at least is as you start telling your story about handing out a ton of candy to kids and everything, then immediately as I as I key in on something you say, I'm immediately brought back to a story about me doing the same thing. And so then the conversation, then when you're done, redirects to me, right? Uh, but here, we see them crowding around on Jesus and listening to the Word of God. The first qualification of following Christ is being a listener of Jesus. And I, and I would actually argue that's one of the most challenging parts about following Jesus as a Christ follower. Because there's so much noise and there's so much going on and there's so many distractions that we can involve ourselves in even day to day that I, I found recently that, that more often than not, uh, almost 90% of people listen to the radio at some point or, or music at some point over the course of their week. Well, I, I've, I've been trying more recently just to turn that off if I'm in the car by myself and and just try to listen, right, more than talk or, or be distracted. So verse 1, they were listening to the word of God. Look at verse 2. It says, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, in that day, uh, here was the routine of professional fishermen. Now, these guys in this story today, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but these guys were actually professional fishermen. I mean, this is what they did for their livelihood. It, weren't like, it wasn't like they had their Mickey Mouse reels out or their, or their cane poles, and they just did this every once in a while. I mean, this is what they did day in and day out. I, I grew up in the, the backwoods of Louisiana, and, and as some of my friends from college in Indiana would come up to me and go, well, you, you had alligators in your backyard, right? And Yeah, everybody in 
Louisiana has alligators in their backyard, right? Isn't that the way it works? And, and, uh, but I grew up uh, hunting and fishing, and, but there, were, there was this kind of elite class of guys that, that they were commercial fishermen. And what they did with their life was catch fish in these huge nets, and they would go and sell them for money, and that's how they made a living. Well, that was the guys in the story today that we're going to be dealing with. And so here was their routine, is they would catch fish, they would sell fish, and then they would clean their nets, and then they would go home. So say that with me. Catch fish, you got it? Catch fish, sell fish, clean nets, go home. That was their routine. So what were they doing in verse 2? They, were, they, were at, they weren't at the catching fish stage. They weren't at the selling fish stage. But they were at the cleaning their nets. What does that tell us about their day? It was over. Right? It was done. Day is done. If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, which could be a real possibility, right? Um, I, I want you to catch this, that at the very moment that you think your day is done, and maybe that's in your marriage, maybe that's at your job, maybe that's in your physical well-being, maybe that's in your finances, maybe that's in your social relationships, um, and you think there's nothing else I can do, God, I'm done. Um, that's the actual time that Jesus can step in and actually do something miraculous. You tracking with me? That the time that you say, God, I'm spent, I'm done, my day is over, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. And your neighbor comes over and goes, hey, um, I know you know how to change brakes and I don't have the money to fix my brake. I know it's kind of late in the evening and you're tired, but would you mind helping me? Oh, God, I'm tired. I don't have time. Can we do this another day? Catch fish, sell fish, clean nets, go home. You know, Jesus here, and, and I had Shannon kind of go the direction she did with the kids for a reason. Is, is what did Jesus see that day? And we're in the heat of the day here. It, it, most Bible scholars argue that it's, it's, it's around 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the day. And, and so Jesus looked out and he saw what? He saw water. He saw boats. He saw fishermen who were washing their what? Nets. He saw every single ingredient for what? For, for a great catch of fish to happen. How many of you have a problem this morning? That, that is amazing. No problems in this entire... Ch- I need to hang out with you guys more. Okay, so three of you have a problem. Okay, uh, how many of you say it's, it's, it's somewhat uh, more than just a small problem? It, it, I, I have... I have some, I'll keep mine up, right? For me, let me tell you my really large, humongous mountain of a problem is that God called my wife and I here to start a church uh, on the far west side of Madison. And I don't know what that's going to look like in a year. No clue. I would say that's an insurmountable challenge. 
that I have in front of me. Well, here's what I found is that God looks out at the very same things that we look out at and say, well, God, I'm a failure. Nothing is happening here. And God actually says, no, you know what? I actually see everything that's necessary for an incredible miracle to happen. Every ingredient. I see nets. I see, I see a lake. I see a, a sea of Galilee. I see people. I see boats. I see what you don't see. And so for some of us this morning, we keep looking at the same things and we don't see what God sees. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from shore land. He sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, great Jewish teachers in that day, instead of standing up to teach people, they would actually do what? They would sit down and the people would stand up. It's kind of opposite today in our uh, educational culture, but then... The great teacher sat down, and so there's a lot of arguments on why he did that, but having fished a lot in my life, if you've ever been out on a lake and the wind's blowing just right, I mean, you can hear a a regular conversation happening a half a mile down the lake, right? Because the water acts as a natural what? Megaphone. And so at every turn, Jesus does nothing by accident. And so he steps into the boat, the one belonging to who? Simon, later we know him as Peter, he steps into Peter's boat, into Simon's boat, and that's essentially like stepping into his life. And so if you work out of your vehicle every day, it would be, it would be the same as Jesus said, hey, do you mind if I jump in the passenger seat of your, of your truck or your car? I, I don't know, I don't know, Jesus, I'm, I've got all kind of stuff piled up here. And I mean, you're going to see all the, all the real me, right, when you, when you come in. Um, it's the equivalent of Jesus stepping into your office, at your job. Jesus steps into Peter's life here. And, 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 that's, and that's step two. If, if step one of following Jesus is listening to him, then, then step two would be, to actually allow him to step into your life and in, a, in an intimate and in a real way. You, you know, a lot of religions of the world, for them, God is, is something that is otherworldly and he's transcendent. And, and there's no way I could ever get to him or, or he to me. But in Christianity, the power of the gospel is that we don't simply serve a transcendent and otherworldly God that is up there somewhere in the cosmos, which he is, but that we also serve an imminent and personal and very tangible and real God that wants to step into our life and sit down beside us and have a conversation and, and, and do life with us on a personal and intimate way. I, I love this about Jesus. He's not standing over there going, hey, Peter. Can you get your boat over there? And I'm gonna. He's not just yelling a bunch of instructions at him, is he? He actually goes and steps into his boat and sits down, and he's maybe even just a few feet away from him. And he begins to teach and share with the people. And Peter's probably thinking, "Man, 
wow, these people, they need some good teaching about now, right? I mean, he's, he's thinking about heading home, kicking his feet up, grabbing his Chick-fil-A sweet tea, best drink there is. And, I mean, he's, he's, his day is over. Maybe he's a little bit, I don't know what's going on here. This guy needs to wrap it up. Maybe that's the step that you just never have really taken in your life. Is to fully allow God to step into your life and to get close and say, let's talk. Look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, I love the translation in the New King James here. In this verse in the New King James, it actually says, launch out, Jesus says to Peter, into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. How many of you have ever been to the ocean? Oh, so most of you have been to the ocean. That's great. How many of you ever waded out into the surf? Okay, so a lot of you wait out in the surf. So for us, uh, we, we have done that several times as a family. You wait out into the surf, and then you get about knee deep, even kind of mid-thigh, waist deep, and you can actually see what's swimming below you. Little small fish. Little minnows, if you will, or maybe even a little bit bigger fish, but, but you're not going to see a lot, of, a lot of huge trophy fish in close, are you? Um, on the side, uh, I lead a ministry that we take pastors on trips to kind of replenish their soul because ministers are always pouring out, but a lot of times nobody then is then pouring back into them, right? Who pastors the pastor? A lot of times we don't think about that, but it, it happens. They get drained, they get tired, and so I lead a ministry kind of on the side that helps replenish pastors. Well, I took a group of nine pastors to the coast of North Carolina back in May, and, and it was so many of us that, that we couldn't all go on one charter fishing boat, so we, we had to get two. Well, my boat, we went out, and, and in our boat, we stayed just a mile or mile and a half offshore. And so we caught a bunch of fish, but would you believe we couldn't keep any of them because they were too what? They were too small. Uh, I was not happy that day, right? Now, the other boat, in contrast, because we, I hadn't planned dinner that night. I had one of my friends that came with us. So he's, a, he's a great uh, griller and barbecuer, and so he was going to cook the fish that evening, whatever we caught. And so on the way home, I, I, I called him, and I go, well, hey, man, I hope you guys did better than us, or else I'll swing through Burger King on the way home, okay? And he goes, man, we didn't, we didn't hardly catch anything either. And I go, you kidding me? He goes, yeah. And he goes, check your phone. And so I check my, I hang up, I check my phone, I pull up the picture he had just texted me. And every single one of those, knuck, I mean pastors, every single one of them had a fish that was literally like, one of them was, was a citation Spanish mackerel. Now, I, now, in Louisiana, if you get a citation while you're fishing, that's not a good thing. But apparently in North Carolina, when you're 10 miles offshore and you get a citation fish, a citation Spanish mackerel means that the state of North Carolina could give you a certificate that says you are on uh, the record scale for that breed of fish. Incredible the fish they caught. We ate like kings that night, thanks to them. 
Here's what I found. Is that when you stay close to shore, you only catch the what? Small fish. Nothing wrong with small fish if they're big enough to keep, and you can still eat those, right? But you're only going to feed a small amount of people. But if you get out deep, now, what, what they didn't tell us till we got back is it was a little windy and rough that day, so guess what the ocean was like? It wasn't calm and nice like our boat. A couple of them had their heads hanging over half the time, right? But they came back with one of them even caught a barracuda that was like this long, right? Unbelievable. You know, out in the deep water, that's where the trophy fish are. Like that's where the really big fish are. And what did Jesus say here? Look at verse 4. He said, put out into the shallow. Is that what he said? You know, here's the challenge. We don't like deep water in our lives, do we? We don't like deep water because that's where the uncertainty is. That's where the risk is. That's where I don't know I could very well go the way of Jonah kind of deep water, right? I don't know what's going to happen in the deep. And so we don't like deep, especially in America. We like safe and we like comfortable. And we don't like risk. We're risk averse, amen? It's okay to say amen. I don't know if Marshall likes it, but I like it. July 30th, we packed everything up that we had in Wheaton, Illinois. And we moved to this town in Alabama called Madison, Alabama. Ten hours away from grandparents, the friends that we had, right? Kids crying, leaving their friends. But you know what I told God? Almost 20 years ago. You know what I told him? I said, if, I, if I'm going to do this, God, and this, and this, I'm not in it for shallow water type stuff. Maybe some people enjoy that brand of Christianity. It's not why I got into it. I got into it because I believe that you're a God that's a deep water launching out kind of God. And every time I, I get scared about inviting somebody to something that I don't even know exists yet. And every time I don't feel like, you know, this morning I was texting people this morning. Because I felt like God wanted me to shoot a text to the DirecTV guy. We got DirecTV. I don't, don't ask me why. Uh, who's getting DirecTV anymore, right? But we got DirecTV two weeks ago. And God said, hey, you know the guy you met and you got his number why are you texting this morning? See if he wants to come to church. So I did. Never got a text back. He's not here this morning. Did I fail? Maybe. But I just did what I felt like God wanted me to do because it, last time I checked, you guys, we're not getting any younger. I mean, I'm 41 years old and I feel like just yesterday I was 21 trying to figure my life out. Glad I'm not there anymore. But so, somehow, some way, we've lulled ourselves to sleep. Right? And I'm not saying I love cozy chairs, right? Please don't go to pews, right? Whatever. But for some reason, we've bought into a brand of faith 
that somehow is comfortable and it's easy and we don't ever have to get out of our comfort zone. Nothing's really asked of us, myself included. I don't mind being inconvenienced every once in a while, but sacrifice. I mean, you mean I actually have to give my first 10% back to God? What is And really, actually, Jesus always said, hey, you've heard it said, right, in the Old Testament. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even, what? Look. So really, it's even more than that. And maybe, maybe just maybe that looks like something crazy for you. Now, it would be crazy to the world, right? It'd be crazy to everybody else. It wouldn't be crazy to God. I mean, why would anybody leave perfection to come to imperfection? Why would they do Philippians chapter 2 kind of stuff? Why would they leave heaven and the perfect relationship and the best community that's ever existed? Talk about a small group. To come to this broken, hurting, Lost, mean, nasty, yucky world. It's because at some point, we were far from God. And somebody cared enough about us to do something about it. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I look at, look at verse 5. Maybe we'll get done today. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. And we caught a ton of fish. Is that what he says? Master, we worked hard all night and we haven't caught what? Anything. But because you say so, I will let down. What would our life look like? If we did more on what God longed for us to do versus how we felt. Man, I'm so glad I married a a lady that is a great cook. Because if not, we'd be eating out every night and it would be rough around our house, right? Because I could care less how to cook. But then she's a great cook and she does that. And then, then I clear the table and then I come over and I see this mound of dishes in the sink. And, and rarely do I look at that mound of dishes and go, I cannot wait to clean you and wash you, right? That is a how can I serve my wife moment. Doesn't always happen on my end. It needs to happen more than it does. Master, because you say so, look, man, I don't know who you are, great teacher, master, I don't feel like it. I've worked hard all day. Remember the, the best time to catch fish, you guys? It is not in the heat of the day, right? What time is it in this story? It's the heat of the day. We've worked hard, what? All what? Night. Best time to catch fish. They know what they're doing. You ever had anybody that knows nothing about what you're doing and your job tell you how to do your job? Don't you just love those people? Bless their heart kind of people, right? And here you have a carpenter telling a professional fisherman how to do his job. Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because, but at your word, 
I will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done this, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets were breaking. They signaled their partners in the other boat and come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Obedience to God always brings God-sized results. Obedience to God always brings God-sized results every single time. Now, don't hear me say that if you just obey God and do everything he said, that you're going to have a record number of whatever that is in your life, right? But in this moment, God had a plan, and his plan was to show Peter something that he thought was absolutely impossible. That's who God is. God, there's no way you can use me to reach my neighbor who is a completely different religion than me. That's where I'm at right now, living right here in Madison, Alabama. God, there's no way that you can help me get my financial life in order so that I can begin to give back what's yours already. There's no way. God, you don't even know the debt we're under. God, there's no way you can reconcile this relationship in my life. But you know what? Because you say so, I'll take a step. I don't know what that's going to look like. Look at verse 8. But Simon Peter saw it, and he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know, here's the interesting part about the following Jesus' life. Is that actually the closer we get to Christ, the better we feel like we're doing, right? Isn't that how it works? Actually, not at all. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we realize, oh my goodness, I have so far to go. You know, I heard a story about Billy Graham and his wife Ruth, and the television crews came to their North Carolina home, and they wanted to interview them. National televised program. And so Ruth cleaned the whole house top to bottom, and then, and then the TV crews came. And they came in, and they, they set the chairs up right in front of their fireplace, and, and, and they, had, they had these huge bright lights, television lights, that they shined right on them. And all of a sudden, Ruth says, I look up, and I see spider webs I didn't know existed because of these bright lights. And I was mortified, Right? You know, it's funny that the exact moment in our spiritual life that we think we're doing really well, then when the light of Christ comes in and begins to shine, there's always something there that He wants us to do or to work on or to give up and over to Him so that His light can shine even brighter in our life. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful Man, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. Now, the word catch here 
in verse 10b is in our English translation, it's the same word of catch in, in uh, verse 4. Let your nets down for a what? Catch, Jesus says. So in English it translates both catch, but in the Greek it's two completely different words in the original language. Now, now in verse 4, the Greek word is literally to catch fish, that type of catch. But here in verse 10b, it actually means it's the word zogreo, which means to catch alive or to catch for life. Jesus says, look, I'm going to take what you're so good at in this world, which is catching fish, and I'm going to leverage that to use it to catch souls for God. That's all we're going to do. Will you join me in that? Will you follow me in that? You know, I love how God works. He takes what you're naturally gifted and good at, and he wants to leverage that. At my church in Dallas, I had a guy named Chris Thorne, and Chris was an accountant, and he worked for Southwest Airlines Corporate. And, and I looked at him, and I said, Chris, how about you be my church treasurer? Help us keep, keep everything uh, clean and, and appropriate and above board financially for God. And so Chris loved leveraging that which society had trained him for, to do that for the benefit of the kingdom. That's how God works. Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Uh, we're going to have a final song. And so I'm going to ask if, if uh, whoever's going to lead that final song, if they would come up at this time. Uh, verse 11 is a, a peculiar verse for me. Because I'm left with the question of why. Why would these guys who just caught a record number of fish, you know, every area has the big one, right? So if you're in the Midwest where we live for years and my wife is from, well, they, they define about every 20 years they have, they have snow that's like the record big one, right? Like last year we had temperatures that were so cold, I, I couldn't feel most of my body if I went outside. I mean, it was like negative 40-something wind chill factor. That's when I knew God called us south at that, at that moment in, in February, right? You know, growing up as a kid, it was the, the flood of 78 was the big one in Louisiana. And so I would argue that this one became the big one around there. Hey, do you remember when Peter, James, and John went out with that teacher, and, they, and it was the heat of the day, and they caught nothing all night? You remember that? And then they, you remember, catch fish. And then what was the second part of that? Sell fish. They could have taken that to market. And they wouldn't have had to work for a month. So they're going to walk away from fame and fortune to follow a guy they just met. Why would they do that? Why, why, would, why would somebody, to me it's the equivalent here in college football season, is, is winning the Heisman Trophy and never playing professional football. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense, right? You know, the only thing I could come up with, the only thing I could come up with, and maybe there's other ideas or options, but it, 
in that moment, they realized that life was about more than fish. For them, they realized that life was about more than simply doing the status quo day in and day out and never fully giving themselves over to the one that can take nothing, the failure point of our life, and actually do an incredible miracle through that. I mean, that's what the gospel, that's what the Bible's all about. It's about waiting and letting us get to the end of our day and saying, God, it's over. I'm done. I'm going home. I flunked today. Didn't catch anything. Did my job just like I always do, and it just seems like it's not working. Here's the challenge today. The challenge is for you as we begin to sing and we wrap up, we'll just have a few more moments. Maybe you want to come and kneel at the altar and pray. Maybe you just want to come stand, and if so, I'll just quietly put my arm on your shoulder and silently pray for you. Maybe you want to pray in your seat. Maybe you want to allow God to get into your boat the very first time ever in your life. But at some point, God has a word for each and every one of us this morning. I don't think it's an accident that Marshall asked me to come speak. I don't think it's an accident that we moved here when we did. I don't think God does anything by accident. Everything's intentional, with a purpose, on purpose. And so maybe, just maybe, God has something for you today that's His next for you in your life. Bow your heads with me. God, as we begin to to sing and to respond, Lord, I just ask for open hearts. And God, I ask for you to speak to us in a fresh and new way.